Hey, everybody. Absolutely stunning news over here this week. We have a video version of this week's episode available on our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash late night. Go over there, sign up at any tier, and you'll have access to it. Once again, that's patreon.com slash late night. Now, enjoy the show. Is this your studio we're looking at here? This is my studio slash bedroom. I love it. <laughs> Look at this. Yeah. So I've got my Rhodes keyboard right here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow, it's just the best sound. Oh, I love it. I love it so much. I got really lucky that I found one of these really rare ones, the 54 model, which is slightly less backbreaking than the 73 being only 54 <laughs> notes yeah. long instead of 73 notes. <laughs> Still, you don't want to tour with it, but yeah. it's nice to know that it's not going to break your back moving it floor to floor. Yeah. And then I got like a, a Moog on top of that that's been newly acquired and very exciting uh, to have like a real like analog synth right next to me for writing and stuff like that. Is it like a classic Moog or one of the newer ones? It's not a classic. It's the uh, subsequent 37. Oh, those are great. It's so nice. It can do everything you want it to do and for quickly like adding something that's real and right there. Herrick, I can... I can yeah, show give it. A little, give a little pan over. Synth show and tell. We use one of those pretty regularly and it just has some amazing leads on it and some really yeah. great basses too. Mm-hmm. We've used those a bunch in our stuff. Like all pre-assigned patches, some of them are just, it's like, what are you fucking doing? When would any human <laughs> use this? Yeah, I mean, I just like starting with just the blank I-N-I-T in it one or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. Such a good synth for knowing like what you can dial in and how to manipulate it. And that it's all like right there in front of you. I've got a Triton Oh, nice. Korg over here. And like, that's all like scrolling around in like <laughs> really <laughs> hard to read little LED oh my God. displays. Wow. And so to like go from that to being like, oh, here are all the knobs that I need. There's not another set of knobs. Do you read the manuals? I have read some manuals at some point in my life. And then I think I've applied <laughs> that one <laughs> reading of like, read one manual, you've read them all and kind of applied that. I think... For specific things, like I really love my favorite of the small synths is the JDXI by Roland. Mm -hmm. Over the years, I've always tried to keep like a light footprint of the synths I use on stage. Mm -hmm. And so I started with the microcorg in the microcorg renaissance. (laughs) (laughs) And just like in its peak, it had just been both Mates Estate on one end and Pharrell on the other doing excellent work on it. And so I kind of had that. And then over the years, kind of just swapped out like different small synths that I could easily put in a backpack for touring. Mm -hmm. And then when I landed on the JDXI, I was like, this is amazing. So there's been a couple times that I've looked up specific things to do in it for the live show that I just wanted to be able to switch things on the fly without kind of going deep into the yeah, <laughs> programming totally. on stage and be like, hold on, hold on. 
It's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. <laughs> dial, 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 dial. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I would watch totally. a whole show of just like dialing in some presets. Just like, hey, check this one out. Isn't that cool? Wow, that sounds fucked up. Yeah, as long as you show it on the screen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and if the audience can see all the names, because they always have hilarious names. Yes, that some, you know, engineer or computer person thought were really clever. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, it's, it's not quite as funny. Blade Jogger. <laughs> no, wait, that's too obvious. Knife Runner. Yeah. <laughs> I would use Knife Runner. Don't know what it sounds like, but that would just be every single track. Yeah. <laughs> do you have a dream synth that you do not yet own? I guess I would like to have like an old Moog, like the Model D or the something like that. I'm not a huge gearhead. I'm very happy Same. using my, um, like, where we've come from when I was, you know, a little grade eight student with my Fruity Loops <laughs> um, and <laughs> yep. tracking with, like, kind of half on my computer and half with, like, an old tape deck. <laughs> yeah. The fact that we have VSTs now, especially, like, the Arturia ones. Oh, those are great. They rule. They're so great. And for, like, writing and being able to immediately, like, hear what that instrument can do is mind-blowing. So I'm very happy keeping a lighter footprint. I'm exactly the same way. Like, I'm not much of a gearhead. I know the things I like, mm -hmm. but I don't really know all the different stuff. I just kind of find things that work and then go for it. It's always awesome to be in a playground where you can, yeah. you know, sample stuff. I do really like old gear. Yeah. Not that I'm not wanting to use it. Not sure if I would want to be the sole owner. Also, I don't want to fix it. Yeah, know? right, right. <laughs> also, so expensive. They're crazy. Yeah. yeah. I'm just about halfway done mixing the first part of a quadruple synth record <laughs> that I'm working on oh, right awesome. now. Yeah. And I started at this, um, it was a synth museum back in 2008 when I first went to it. And then now it's turned into a National Music Center. But basically in Calgary, Alberta, and Canada here, we've got this very unique synth collection of about 150 or so of the rarest synths in the really? world. In Calgary? Yeah, in Calgary, yeah. Including uh, Taunt, the famous Tonto synthesizer. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. What's that one? That one is the synth from Phantom of the Paradise. And it was also on uh, a bunch of Stevie Wonder records. Shit, this looks cool. It's like a big space station, basically. Yeah, you've seen pictures of it for sure. So the first track off the record is uh, a song I made completely like live off the floor on the synthesizer, basically. How cool did you feel? It was in Mutato Musica, the Mark Mothers Oh, Bar. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's amazing. You basically want to have eight more arms when using it because it is essentially just a bunch of synths put together. I'm not sure what the final knob count on it is. It's like a thousand or something. Yeah, you have to jump around a lot to manipulate the sound. God. So I recorded about a hundred synths there and a lot of like really cool old ones that several were over a million dollars. So how did you get permission to do that? I applied for like the artist in residency program wow, cool. and got accepted and the Canadian government funds the recording process and you do like two community shows, I think. Oh, that's cool. That's so cool. Yeah. I started in 2020. Yeah. Like just after I left Zoomtay. Not on the mic this time. <laughs> yeah. Right. Not on the mic this you time. The mic, yes. <laughs> that was like a month after the generator show there. 
Right. That's awesome, dude. Yeah. Wow, what a fun opportunity. Yeah. Yeah, we were talking a few episodes ago slash probably a year ago about like <laughs> the unique versions of the Mellotron. There was one called the Skeletron mm. that just had a completely mm-hmm. clear housing. Yep. Haven't been able to get that one out of my brain. The Novatron. Mm-hmm. Mm. Novatron was one that I got to play there. Instead of being in like a wooden box, it's like built into like a flight case. Oh, wow. Weird. Didn't sound very different from a Mellotron. If you <laughs> got a Mellotron connoisseur being like, you know, it's not called a Mellotron if it's not from the... Uh, the mellow region of France. <laughs> <laughs> I've never played a real Mellotron. I've played like the newer versions that don't use oh, the yeah. tape. Oh, it's super fun. It's interesting with playing one of the old ones. Sometimes you realize the chord isn't going to work because the sample <laughs> isn't long enough. Like the sample ends before you change to the next chord. Wow. So you're like, we either have to up this tempo. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> or I just got to like sample the chord and then make a loop in there somewhere. Yeah. And they kind of feel fragile when you're playing them too. Like you press the key down and you can like hear the tape reel starting. And then there's this like feeling when you like lift off of the um, tape rewinding itself really quick. So you hear mm-hmm. this like, <laughs> it's like. I know some people still record to tape, but. I mean, what a cool era of music to have that like physical thing, like real, the real thick shit. Yeah. Right. That's on the reels. And there was so much cool classical stuff people were doing with it. When I first did music education for our first project, we had to record to tape. Oh, you really? Whoa. And edit on tape. So we were like getting out the exacto uh, knives there and splicing edits. And wow. the next project, when we switched over <laughs> to digital <laughs> DAWs, we were all very grateful. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. We're just going to give you gratitude for the technological advances in this field. It was such a good experiment. Uh, I'm so <laughs> glad the teacher started with that lesson. When did people really start recording digitally? In the late 90s? I think even early 90s, there were some people seeing ADAT and mm-hmm. those kind of like precursor to not tape anymore, but tapes of sorts. And yeah, like the Atari was one of the first computers mm-hmm. that people recorded on. Oh, wow. I think that was even late 80s, maybe early 90s that you had a, like a DAW. We had this Atari growing up, actually, but I was pretty young at the time and just played Wayne Gretzky hockey game on all the time <laughs> with my brother. But uh, yeah. <laughs> real great graphics. Oh, of course. Yeah. All eight bits. Oh, Defenders of the Crown was also this amazing. Well, I don't know that one. Yeah, that was a really fun video game, too. Oh, and Robocop. Oh, hell yeah. But yeah, like the uh, Atari computer, I forget what the model is called, but that was one of the big sought after computers like pre-Mac, pre-PC that musicians like could record on instead of four tracks or uh, old like two track tape or larger if you had more money. Sorry, sorry to derail this, but I'm looking at Defender of the Crown. I'll talk about Defenders of the Crown. That was an amazing game. How do I not know about that? I mean, this is literally when I was playing... PC games on my Apple II or early Mac days. So I would have been 1986. I would have been Mm -hmm. 11 when this came out. This was exactly in my heyday and wheelhouse of playing. And you missed it. Oh, man. How? Yeah, it was amazing. You could do two-player duels. Mm -hmm. And I remember my brother and I used to sword fight a lot. You could also go on these like raids to 
other castles. It was kind of RPG light. Yeah. There was like some kind of customized stuff involved, but it was also a pretty straightforward gateway RPG for me as a kid. It looks like you can get an iOS and Android version now. Is that true? What? Wow. Time for some emulating. Move over, Warzone. You know, you can get all these, like, browser-based emulators. Yeah, I've thought about getting those emulators. Like, I do like a lot of those classic games. Yeah. I'm 38, and all these games were kind of, like, things my older brother played, and Mm -hmm. I kind of have a lot of memories of like early video games. Oh yeah. And I kind of grew up with the Nintendo. Like, the NES. Yeah, and then Super Nintendo. And yep. so I've, I've constantly thought about getting something like that, especially even for the wireless capabilities and also it not breaking. Like I actually have a Nintendo still, but like oh, half nice. the time where it's like, hey, let's play some Super Mario Brothers 3. <laughs> yeah. It'll be awesome. <laughs> and then half the time we're just like blowing in the cartridge being like, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, this is going to work this time. Well, I love that, you know, on the Switch, they have that subscription service where you can get most of those old games mm. for yeah. both NES and Super Nintendo. That's cool. And, yeah. Oh, it's so great. With the addition of like save states, like outside of. Yes. Very useful. Oh my God. To be able to save, how much of my youth was wasted trying to get back to where I had been on Super Mario 3? Like, <laughs> a lot. A lot. Just getting those flutes. Oh my God, dude. Oh, The fact that you could save and now, kids don't know how good they fucking have it these days. Yeah. Did you, either of you, get into Bomberman when you were a kid? No, I don't know Bomberman. No. The original Bomberman was like at least the first memories I have of four friends sitting in a room together uh-huh. playing a multiplayer video game together. Nice. And it was for TurboGrafx-16. Mm-hmm. And it was way ahead of its time. <laughs> that whole system was just the beta of consoles. Yeah. Just being like superior but just like that Marty McFly moment being right. like, you know, it's like, you, <laughs> you're not ready for this yet, but your kids will love it. Right, right. <laughs> Were there consoles available in Canada that weren't available in the U.S. and vice versa? Because, for example, I wouldn't expect this to be the case, at least not as much. I talked to British friends and they're like, oh, you guys didn't have a mega drive, too. Right. And it's like, no, actually, I've never even heard of that. And it's something that was yeah. only available there. We were very much piggybacking off American video game culture, but I did go to school briefly in Australia and they call Sega Genesis down there Mega Drive <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> and, and I believe specifically Mega Drive 2, if I recall. That's awesome. So when you were a kid, you lived in Australia. No, sorry, sorry. I was just an adult going to a university playing Mega Drive 2. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Why did you go to Australia for university? Was that just wanted to try it or what? I highly recommend anyone who's listening to this who is in university in, you know, first year or thinking about going to university, (laughs) do the exchange program. It is such an amazing experience. Not only is it this, like, opportunity that just really forces you into a new environment and it's very temporary, you know, you know, you have your time that you're going to be there. But then also the amazing thing called pass fail. Because <laughs> <laughs> right. the universities essentially don't want to mess up their GPA. Mm-hmm. So most, at least at the time that I did this, I believe it's still the case that they just kind of write it off as pass fail. And so it doesn't equate into your GPA. So I'm not saying go slack off, but you can definitely <laughs> you have, fun. have fun and not be as critical on your 
academia and do things like play Mega Drive too. <laughs> I remember friends in college that went to the UK for a year or a semester, mostly a year. And they were like, look, it's a totally different system. What are you going to fucking do? Did you pass? Great. Yeah, yeah. It's different enough that they don't even try to really equate things. I wasn't particularly slacking off. I was a good student. But first, Mark back was like, oh, I usually have one of the higher letters. <laughs> <laughs> Closer to the top of the alphabet. Where in Australia were you? I went to the University of Western Sydney in oh, nice. beautiful Penrith on the edge of the Blue Mountains. Wow. But I also got to go to Australia in high school because uh, my dad did some uh, work with the government down there. And mm -hmm. he, he was a... Um, spy, sounds he like was where a you're spy. going. Yeah, right. <laughs> he, he was a public service and political science prof. Mm -hmm. And so he would go and, and study uh, comparative things between the Australian system and the Canadian system. Oh, cool. So I got to go down for like two months in grade 10 uh, with him. And as a result, got to go see where this was. And we also went to Bondi Beach. Oh, nice. So when I was going back, I was like, oh, I could either live in this like two hours inland like <laughs> campus housing yeah. Or I could try and find the cheapest apartment possible <laughs> by, the by the beach and surf every day. And yeah. that's what I did. And I, I commuted two and a half hours to school. Oh, my God. Um, but I did <laughs> all my work on the train. So I five hours a day was like spent on school. But you were going every day pretty much to school. No, I also luckily got my classes so that it was only uh, three or four days a week. So it was pretty nice. I actually finished all my schoolwork for the only time in my academia career uh, <laughs> halfway through the semester and then the second half I just read Life of Pi and had a fun time. <laughs> Have you ever uh, toured down there? I did. I did a short tour for uh, Australian Music Week in Sydney. Oh nice, yeah. And then I did just like a Sydney show and a couple of the smaller townships around uh, but haven't been to like a long tour or played Big Day Out or anything like that. Yeah, we did four dates there. We did Perth, Melbourne, uh, Sydney, and Brisbane. And just nice. great audiences, great oh, yeah. energy. Yeah. Especially, you know, it's such a far away place from the rest of the world that when you get there, people are like, oh my God, you're here. Cool. Yeah, yeah. All the posters I played had like larger than my name was from Canada. <laughs> it's like from Canada, Richo Quick. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize until we got there, but apparently Perth, it's like the city of over a million people. That's the farthest away from any other city of over a million people. Yeah, yeah. Oh. yeah so it's far Western Australia and Australia is big. And it's also on the ocean. So it's like right in the middle of nowhere. And Perth is a big city. It's got, you know, everything big city has. But there's just like nothing else around it, which is yeah. so interesting. It often feels like where I live here in Halifax, Nova Scotia is kind of like the smaller version of Perth, uh, <laughs> North America. <laughs> yeah. The drive from here to Montreal, which is like the next biggest city is 14 hours so when oh a band's God, really? touring in north america the closest they get is montreal and then they like right. divert down and maybe if you're lucky there's a main show like bangor or, or portland right. but <laughs> it's pretty much like montreal and then boston is the next date <laughs> yeah so did you know the twerp guys out in halifax or did you only meet them later yeah i've known since real og days yeah <laughs> 
<laughs> Back when there were other people in the band that yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> the pylon was just like, maybe I'll put that on my head. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen pictures of the old costumes and they're charmingly janky. Oh, yeah. And lo-fi. I love it, especially considering where it's gone. Yeah. Yeah. Like the newest version of those costumes are like bananas. Yeah. Killer. It's cool. It's kind of like looking at the old prototype drawings for Star Wars. Yeah. Right. <laughs> when it's like you see the first Chewbacca and you're like, <laughs> like, all right, we're thinking this. And then we're thinking polka dots for Chewbacca because yeah. give a couple more, maybe <laughs> workshop it a couple more times and then come back. That's awesome. So did you guys just know each other from the scene? Yeah, I just knew each other from the scene. Because you're a, a little bit older than they are. I'm a bit older, right? yeah. yeah. And Hogan's also my, uh, like, second cousin. What? I didn't <laughs> yeah. know this. What? I think we kind of knew it, but we're like, okay, yeah, like, let's look at, yeah. Huh. I had no idea. I didn't know you guys were pseudo-related. I met him at a family funeral when we were really young. Mm-hmm. And it was like one of the only times where the uh, very large extended family got together. And mm-hmm. it was interesting because our family has kind of shrunk over the years and been more kind of detached from extended family. So it was in my mind that even though it's like attached to this like sad morning, it was like, whoa, who are all these other people? <laughs> these people? And yeah. why aren't we hanging out with them? <laughs> right. Especially when they like live in the same Town or nearby, right? Yeah, Yeah. and there was just so many cousins and kids and stuff hanging out. It was, like, one of the only memories of, like, oh, here's, like, what a real, like, big extended family must feel like. That's awesome. Except you get it every year. (laughs) And then you're, like, (laughs) complaining about it, being like, oh, gotta go see all these people. (laughs) I was asking one of them. I'm curious if you know this, too. You must. The giant, creepy Christmas tree in the mall mm. nearby. Which went viral this year, yeah. Do go on. I'd read about beforehand and texted them, assuming like, hey, you guys know about this, right? And they were all like, yeah, yeah of course. Oh, Everybody yeah. knows about that. And then yeah, it went viral this year, I saw. Yeah, 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 it was interesting, like, growing up. I mean, obviously looking at it now and seeing, you know, on Fallon. It was on Fallon? It was on one of the big late night shows. I think yeah. it was Fallon. What do I Google to get eyes on this creepy Christmas tree? Um, uh, Woody the Christmas tree. <laughs> Oh, God. <laughs> You're going to love it, lady. Oh, That's already. Ready. Oh, Just turn on private browsing no. first. <laughs> oh, no. Um, <laughs> um, it's funny Why? looking at the photos now and like hearing all the like late night jokes. I fully understand and get your experience you're having right now. <laughs> being like, this is so creepy. But as a kid, you were like, none of that clocked. You're just like, sure. Woody's amazing. Woody talks to me. Woody is huge. Yeah. Could probably talk to whoever Woody wants to. <laughs> so is there a person in the tree talking to people? Uh, no, no what? one has to be in the tree. They're actually like watching you nearby and like kind of talking into a walkie-talkie or something that then <laughs> is, I, I don't know what the technology they use, like, because this has been going on since like the like late 80s. So, right, right, right. So yeah, like some sort of like walkie-talkie system. And they're like, oh, and what else do you want for Christmas? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. And then the mouth just like moves with every word said. Oh, I remember that era of animatronics, the Chuck E. Cheese type thing where the thing just goes and then (laughs) words somehow come out of it. I feel like we should introduce the show. Here. <laughs> we should do this at a reasonable, at a cool 35 minutes. Mm-hmm. Well, and the point is we remembered. 
which really makes us professionals. Yes, indeed. So everybody, this is Late Night with Brian Wecht. Sitting across from me today, we have Leighton Gray. Howdy, the one who just spoke. That was Brian Wecht. He said that, but I'm just telling you again, because he can be dishonest sometimes, you know? I can't. Um, No, 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 no. no. I I completely reject I just feel the need to verify. I just want everybody at home to know that your name is Brian Wecht. Mystery guest? Yeah. Trust but verify. Mystery guest. I trust you with your answer to this question. Who are you? (laughs) My name is Rich O'Quain, and I'm a musician from Canada and space. And space, that's right. Perfect. Which is really where you and Torp grew up together. Within yeah. space. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Space is a little part of Nova Scotia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, space, have you heard of it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no one can hear you scream. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps you've seen it. <laughs> we were just last night looking at constellations. Do you ever use like a sky app to look at the stars? I have, yeah. I oh. love that. No, what? My mind was blown the first time someone like pulled their phone out and was like, check this out. Do you not know this, Layton? No, no. Well, oh. you're about to have your mind blown just like I was. I think it's actually the best thing you can do with a mobile phone. The one I have is called Sky Guide, although maybe it's not available anymore. Yeah, I have Sky Guide. Yeah. So you pull up this thing and you just point it up or down and it shows you what you're looking at. And it shows you the names of the stars, the names of the constellations, pictures of the constellations. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you see something bright in the sky and you're like, what is that? Sirius? Is that Venus? Is it blah, blah, blah? You can just like, boom, right there, see what it is. And let me just say, it's the greatest thing you've ever seen as an adult. When you're seven and you can suddenly look up at the sky and you can look below you to see Mm. what the stars are below the earth. And it shows where the galactic plane is. So you can see where the Milky Way would, you know, is coming through. It it is really one of these mind-blowing experiences, especially living in a place like we do, L.A., with lots of light pollution. Mm-hmm. No thanks to Elon Musk, whatever. Uh, <laughs> where you can't see a lot of the stars, just knowing that they're out there. We can see Orion, and we can see the Big Dipper when it comes out, and a few of the other brighter stars. Mm-hmm. Vega, we can see pretty regularly. You know, the real bright ones. Mm-hmm. But just seeing everything else that's out there hiding behind it is so fucking cool. Yeah. I've never been in a place where I've been able to see like a sufficient amount of stars. Like I just have never really gotten out to an area without light pollution to see, which I should do. It's the best. Like ever in your life. I mean, places where like, here's some normal amount of stars, but none of the places where it's like, you can see so much shit right now. Yeah. Like just going out to like Joshua Tree or something like that. Never done it. That's a great place. Wow. You got to do it. It's amazing. It's like, Okay. Yeah, you're just flying through the universe. It's incredible. It is kind of life-changing. I have very, very bad vision, so I can't resolve the stars very well. Mm. I can't see them very well. So even like with regular stars, it takes, uh, I miss a lot of it. But in the desert, I'm just like, this must be what it feels like for a person with normal vision to, to look at the sky. And actually, speaking of Australia, I remember going down there and whipping out the sky and being like, oh my God, it's different stars. <laughs> it's it's different. all flipped. <laughs> yeah. It's so cool to realize that, oh yeah, you know, I'm standing on, you know, almost a sphere, whatever, mm-hmm. an ellipsoid, and my Face is pointing out in a different direction, and I can mm-hmm. see other things in the universe. It really is a wild experience. I've got to travel to LA and, and spend a couple winters of my life there. 
And one thing I'm always telling friends to do like immediately is like the first thing they do is go to Griffith. Yep. It's like the best way to see the city. Totally. It's a lovely hike up there. It's huge. It's huge. There's a free space museum that's yep. incredible. Going and seeing one of the planetarium shows is super relaxing and lovely any time of day. Yeah, it's great. At night, they have a bunch of volunteers that are just super stoked about <laughs> stars and like <laughs> just have like three incredible telescopes just on the grass that you can just casually walk up to. Yeah. They're like, hey, you want to come see Jupiter? Well, put your eye hole on this and check this out, <laughs> asshole. <Yeah. laughs> and, then, and then you can wait in line and sometimes get lucky and there's no line and yeah. go with the big life changing, big old telescope they have on the roof. And yep. I remember like seeing Jupiter through that and it just being like, wow, I'm seeing like the thing that I've seen in all these photos, but you know, with my own right now for the first time yeah it's the best it's amazing i go every time i go to la and usually try and go to a planetarium show every time someone new hasn't been to one i'm like well we're going to a planetarium show yeah and then we're gonna walk through the space museum my second album cover is inspired by griffith because oh cool it's called ephemeral and the cover is the footprint from the moon landing mm -hmm. because griffith decided to sum up the entire existence of humanity <laughs> with <laughs> that one photo <laughs> they basically have a ratio walk that you do down to the space part of the museum and at the start of it they're like here's the beginning of time and then they're like mm -hmm. the big bang and then there's like all this beautiful shells and stars and it's kind of showing the formation of the universe and then you're just walking down this like long long ramp down to the start of the museum and then at the very end they're like <laughs> earth is, is made yeah <laughs> and then the last little sliver line is like humans exist here they are <laughs> yeah it really is nuts. Just think yeah. about what a tiny little slice of, of existence yeah. we've lived in so far in the universe. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I can believe this because I never go anywhere, but in the five coming up six years I've lived here, I've never been to Griffith Park Observatory. I see it every day and I've never been. You got to go. It's amazing. And, you know, Griffith Park more broadly is also oh, incredible. Oh, super pretty. It, well, it's such an interesting thing to have in the middle of the city and it is just incredible i also go over to bronson every time i'm up mm -hmm. to and like through runyon and every time i end up having the conversation with who i'm there with being like we are in one of the largest populated cities in the world right now totally and there's no one here and this is beautiful and <laughs> it's incredible in the bronson it's like where the original like og 60s batman yeah. That cave was filmed. Yeah, and yeah. so you can go through this like beautiful tunnel in a mountain. Whoa. Yeah. We did a little hike the other day in the Santa Monica Mountains, you know, basically like the hills right in the middle of town. And I don't know if this is true, but the little plaque at the bottom, the informational plaque was saying it's the only mountain range that bisects a single major city. Mm. The only one? So I think normally those would be different cities, but LA is just so big that it's the only mountain range that's in the 
middle of a single city. The Santa Monica Mountains you're talking about. Yeah, which are basically the Hollywood Hills, that kind of stuff. Yeah. That fact may be untrue. I didn't verify it, but it's also plausible. But no matter what, it's still the same thing where you're like, yeah, you can see the fucking city from right there. And you're like, we're in the middle of, you know, the wilderness right now. But we're also in the middle of one of the largest cities on the planet. Fuck. It's wild. Yeah. Yeah. I've never lived anywhere where you just have such an immediate crossover between the natural world and the urban world Mm -hmm. as in Los Angeles. Yeah. I spent a winter living in North Highland and would run up into Runyon and stuff like that every day. And, you know, when we're talking about stars earlier, it's like you have to drive further to see what we're talking about. But I'm like, oh, the thing you mean, I'd get in my car for five minutes and then (laughs) (laughs) see anytime I want. Right, right, right. Being in such a smaller place here and feeling that need to have some isolation and get in those spots. It is truly a lovely amenity for the city to be able to get into those mountain ranges. Yeah. You keep coming back to Halifax, like you kind of base there and you spend time other places, but you're always... I think when I was younger, that I envisioned that I was going to like live in different places, LA and Hollywood and, you know, growing up loving movies and wanting to be in the movie industry and stuff. As a kid, I uh, was envisioning moving down there at some point, but then I just really <laughs> love it here. And uh, it's yeah. nice with the internet to be able to like sustain a career enough. Totally. While not having to always be immersed in a larger city, I guess. Well, yeah. And I'm sure vastly more affordable than Mm -hmm. Los Angeles. Yeah, my rent's only gone up $100 in 16 years. Oh my God. Uh, What? (laughs) (laughs) I've been living in this bedroom for 16 years uh, and pay $550 a month. Oh my Jesus Christ. (laughs) That's upsetting to hear. Um, Yeah. I wanted to ask about, I'm looking at your vinyl. I've been thinking the same thing this whole time. Here's a lot of my favorite records. Is that the Clockwork Orange soundtrack I see up there? It is. Yep. One of my favorites. It's a French copy that I found in Paris one time. The Wendy Carlos stuff on that soundtrack is just the best. I cannot get enough of it. Oh, it's amazing. Like her stuff on that, The Shining. I was a huge fan as a kid. I like grew up playing classical piano and I think... As cheesy as they are from uh, other people's perspectives, I loved the Switched On records growing Yes. Up. Dude, they're amazing. They're incredible. Absolutely. Where do we even find them now? They mass produce so many of them that they're pretty easy to find if you want to get a copy on vinyl. And I'm sure they're available digitally too. eBay. Oh, yeah. Weren't they not for a while? Because I feel like I've tried to... Um... Wait, are they not right now? <gasps> yeah, that's why I asked. Oh, okay. Oh, check YouTube. I think YouTube has them all uploaded. Yeah, that's plausible. Also, I feel like every time I say this, it sounds like I'm sponsored by them. But wow, <laughs> YouTube Premium? changes your life pretty fucking great you're not wrong you are not wrong it's like the last place where we sit through the worst commercials and the first moment that i like clicked on a video and it just started i was like oh well that was worth it and you can play the music when the app isn't like on your screen on your phone oh yeah i fall asleep every night to like alan watts and Terrence McKenna and Mm -hmm. these like long, like four hour (laughs) lectures that I (laughs) turn off at like three in the morning. Yeah. I wish that it had a baked in sleep timer. That would be perfect. Yes. That would be much better. I use a separate sleep timer app, but still that's, 
It's great. Yeah, I wonder why there's not just like a hack to just like program your phone to just uh, volume down at a certain time or something. At least on an iPhone, you can set a timer to a particular action, like stop mm. playing. So I know you have an Android. Yeah, anything with Galaxy is like a Bixby routine for mm. whatever. It takes me two seconds to turn on my 20-minute sleep timer and then it's rolling and I've got my ASMR on and I'm out. Oh yeah, I love rocking some of those before sleep. It's funny, the walls also slowly getting taken over by more soundtracks. <laughs> like I've got Raiders and Star Wars nice. and Alien and Aliens, Goldfinger. Very excited about the Illinois and OK Computer. Yeah, Illinois was like a huge record for me. It's so great. It's one of those records though too that despite it being like a uh, masterpiece, it really reminded me that the 45 minute lengths of record always like had that like kind of medium built in stuff that David Byrne talks about in the <laughs> how music works and stuff. But mm -hmm. the record is so long that I find the way I enjoy it the most is listening to Chicago and then ending mm -hmm. my one listening and then starting after Chicago and listening to the rest of the record. Because okay. then I feel like I'm like energized enough. <laughs> yep. Because the last few tracks of the record, like Night Zombies, they're all such good tracks, but I find I'm like so tired at the end. Yes. It definitely made me be like, okay, don't, don't make a record as long. It's just like tired and depressed, which is, you know, <laughs> yeah. Sufjan's whole. The Wayne Gacy track always. I love that song, dude. It's That's such a beautiful song, favorites. but oh, I get really sad every time. Have you ever gone to the Museum of Death? Yeah. I have not. So I went there one time, much like your last guest. I'm very fascinated by death and... Was excited about it being like existential. I really liked the first section that was all about different cultural kind of like approaches towards death and death like rituals. Mm -hmm. What year did you go? Oh, I went in 2012. And so the first part of the museum, I'm like, okay, I'm really into this. This is sweet. And then you round this corner and they're like, <laughs> hey, you like cults? <laughs> Check this shit out. <laughs> Oh, man. Then they have like a fucking life-size recreation of the bedrooms from the, the Heaven's Gate. Heaven's Gate. Oh and my God. you're just like, oh, no, I'm sad. I'm real sad. And then, <laughs> and then you go into the Charles Manson thing and then you feel so sad for everyone that oh, got no. sucked in by that piece of shit. And then you're just like, oh, no. And then there's just getting darker and darker. And then you get into the like serial killer art room. And you're like, okay, I can't take it anymore. I <laughs> didn't think I was... Signing up. Like, I, it's funny how, like, I'm like, I love death. And I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, it's a real gauntlet. <laughs> love natural death. <laughs> <laughs> I love natural death. I think love it's probably changed layouts in the past couple of years. Because now they mm. front load the serial killer art. So it's like immediate Whoa. John Wayne Gacy painting. Oh. Yeah, I'm not sure how deep I would have made it into it. Or unless <laughs> maybe, does it make it better? Because then at the end they're like, but it's not all doom and gloom. Sometimes you just <laughs> die in your sleep. Sometimes people don't murder you viciously, yeah. At the very end, they're like, hey, we know that was a gauntlet. You just walked through a whole hallway that had a bunch of gory graphic car crash pictures. You know what's going to make you feel better? A screening of faces of death next to a life-size replica of Gigi Allen. <laughs> do they really have that? <laughs> yeah, they do. Oh, oh man. I don't know the full story, so this is probably hearsay, but that Museum of Death is in hot water recently for um, supporting some neo-nazi shit oh shit i'm sorry people have to chill the fuck out about Gigi allen 
I mean, do you know anyone who's constantly like, yeah, Gigi Allen's so cool? Like, well, no, <laughs> I know people who say that ironically, but also, like, I don't know. I think I, like, I get it, but also calm down. Oh, wait, wait, wait. You get to use your favorite. Um, oh, yeah. Jesus Christ, calm down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you have a, uh, a very irregular segment on this, really just a theme song, which is called Jesus Christ, calm down. And I think we're going to put in that theme music right here. So people who are too into Gigi Allen, Jesus Christ, calm down. Jesus Christ, calm down. Calm down. Well, and also I'm going to hit you with Uno Reverse, Jesus Christ, calm down, because... I don't know anybody except for Vernon who jokingly talks about how more people should take a shit on stage. <laughs> Never <laughs> else ever do I hear anyone talking about Gigi Allen. Uh, well, okay. On Sharpling's best show, one of my favorite comedy oh, things. I've listened to many a best show. Oh, okay. Well, we have to talk about this. But, you know, Worcester will occasionally call in in character and mm-hmm. refer to Kevin Allen as, <laughs> you know, his his idol uh, or whatever. Uh, okay. If we're talking best show, let's talk best show. Cannot get enough. It's one of my favorite things. Yeah. We listen to it a lot. It's not broken up. So I still technically play trumpet in a band called... Winda Merle. Nice. For okay. Twin Peaks nice. fans out there. We've got our attention. Uh, <laughs> and it's a lovely, really fun, kind of mid-aughts instrumental synth horn band. Oh, rad. Stefan, who's, it's his band. He just like pulls things from everything from like kind of that like uh, TV Carnage era and everything is terrible, kind of like VHS finding and cuts things together. And so the show is like really bombastic and fun and you're describing all the things i like (laughs) his sense of humor and the whole band really is best show and so just long touring drives where that's all (laughs) we listen to it was interesting because it was ahead of the podcast era for sure in my mind it's like the sopranos to the era of golden tv 100 percent, and just kind of people getting comfortable with a kind of loose unplanned kind of discussion and sometimes it's great and sometimes you're just kind of comforted by hanging out with them. and Absolutely. Yeah. And he's got a good ear for Tom. I mean, sorry, for like knowing when to like move things along and be like, okay, you're done. <laughs> yes. hundred <laughs> percent. This is well before I ever listened to it, but that original rock, rotten rule bit was like mm-hmm. pass around the cassette kind yeah. of thing. I've been listening regularly since 2006. Mm-hmm. In fact, I, I would say I haven't missed a show since 2006. Wow. So right around the time they probably started podcasting it. And I grew up with WFMU because I was one of my local radio stations in North Jersey. Mm -hmm. So I had been a WFMU listener for way before that even. Did you ever call in? I called into other FMU shows, but never the best show. I was always too scared. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Too much pressure. It's like it could go well or I could get made fun of by the person I love listening to. A hundred (laughs) percent. (laughs) And I was always like, what am I going to say? Like, if I had something to say, I would call in, but... Yeah, just call in and be like, I love garage rock too. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I never felt like I had anything to contribute. So happily, we'll listen all day long, but I doubt I will ever be a caller on that show. I have called in, at least in high school, I called into this other FMU comedy program, Seven Second Delay, which is still on the air and still on WFMU. It's kind of like a stunt radio show, but it used to be very call-in 
mm. centric. It is still, but less so. What did you do with your Colin? Well, I remember one, actually. The subject was most embarrassing deaths. Mm-hmm. Apropos of the recent conversation. <laughs> Being shitty enough to get immortalized in a museum called the Museum of Death yeah. while Faces of Death plays in the background. <laughs> I remember calling in with Stonewall Jackson because he was shot by his own side. And I was like, that's pretty embarrassing. High school me thought that was a great call. And I <laughs> happily called in with that probably when I was 16. I think it was a popular show, a more popular show back then. It used to be kind yeah. of one of their flagship programs and they were just taking calls and boom, boom, boom. And now it's the same guys doing it who are in their 60s, I think now. Wow. Yeah. That longevity is incredible. I think they just had their 30th anniversary of doing it. Yeah. And wow. they have this really fun chemistry. The one guy, it's a classic like straight man comedy. What's the opposite of a straight man in the comedy duos? Comic relief? I don't know. You know what I mean. The gay one? Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. That's totally going to stay in the show. <laughs> yeah, of course. Of course it is. Uh, anyway, one guy's the straight man. The other guy is the comedian. And the comedy guy, Andy Breckman, is like a classic comedy writer, wrote on SNL. Mm. His persona is arrogant, sarcastic asshole, mm. which is largely the basis for my comedic persona of yeah. arrogant, sarcastic asshole. Yeah. <laughs> and he is just one of my comedy heroes and still every bit as funny now as he ever was. Amazing. Yeah. 30 years. I know. Just keeping something up like that, which requires so much effort on a, a weekly show. I know. Well, one guy's the station manager, the straight man, Ken. And so he's been running the station forever. So he's like there. The other guy yeah. comes in for it. But yeah, no, it's just to keep it going that long through, you know, kids and now grandkids and yeah, divorces yeah. and blah, you know, all the stuff life throws at you to keep it going. I think it's one of those things where I will occasionally run into people who it's got a real cult following, especially among comedy folks, much like the best show, although this is a probably cultier and a smaller audience. But occasionally you run into someone, you're like, seven sec delay, and they're like, oh my God, seven sec, what? You know, it's like that, that <laughs> yeah. sort of thing. I did music and uh, tech for a comedy troupe for a long while. They were called uh, Picnic Face. Oh, right. I know Picnic Face, of course. I didn't know you were, you did stuff with Picnic Face. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of those videos end with my music at the end of the skit. I had no idea that was you. Oh my yeah, God, that's awesome. Yeah. I love Picnic Base. Yeah. 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 So Mark and I and Kyle during like the power thirst kind of era. Yeah. All live together here in this place for $450. Wow. <laughs> and then they've since, you know, moved on to other things. Yeah. They're actually both in this amazing show, which I highly, highly recommend for Anyone who is like a fan of Rick and Morty and like wants something else to fill the in-between times waiting for a new season, mm -hmm. they have this show called Gary and His Demons. Oh, I've never heard of it. And it is amazing. I don't know how to watch it in the States, but in Canada, you can watch it on our CBC stream program called Gem. And it's very, very well done and quite good. Mark also did a, a series called Dad Drives. <laughs> which is on YouTube, which I highly recommend as well. If I remember correctly, they're the trucks. Yeah, That's yeah, That's one yeah. of theirs, so, right? Yes. So we did like a weekly show for four years and then got a Canadian, Comedy Central is the American one. Comedy Network is the Canadian one. So we had like the Canadian version of that and just got one season. And it was just so amazing to watch them like, 
bad at that level and make even some of their best skits that year, like on the fly. I wasn't involved in the show. Only one of the things when I was doing the weekly tech things, I was like, as a payback, just let me do the theme song to the show. Yeah. And I was like, totally being like, this is going to be like the next kids in the hall. Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to, I'm going to have like this theme song that goes like for like, you know, five, six seasons and then gets like reruns and then I'm set for life. (laughs) But the season came out the year before Key and Peele blew up. Mm -hmm. Broad City as well, maybe. There was another two really great shows that kind of like bumped them out of the getting renewed. But if you can find the one season of Picnic Face online somewhere, it's truly delightful to see what those nine minds came up with. So you guys were doing a live show before it was that, and you were yeah. doing music and tech for that. Yeah. While they, that's awesome. Yeah, and actually, like, Nathan Fielder. Yeah, of course. He came down, and each week he would give me, like, a thumb drive uh, for, like, a new thing. He's like, hey, I just shot this. And <laughs> they were so amazing. Like, I'm a huge, huge fan of Nathan For You, and oh, I think yeah. it's Same. one of the greatest things ever made. Absolutely. And, it's the best. And it's amazing, like, looking at these videos I have on this old hard drive of, like, <laughs> and if you are, you know, interested listening to this, too, just check out like Nathan Fielder's early YouTube stuff pre Nathan for you. It's, yeah, it's really funny. It's really great. Have you seen How To with John Wilson? Oh my God. I've Dude. rewatched it like three times now. Isn't it the greatest? It's amazing. I love it so much. He produces that, I believe. Mm-hmm. And I love that the trailer has nothing to do with the show. Yeah. It's the trailer so is also for fans of Nathan For You that want more Nathan For You. <laughs> it's <laughs> really worth watching. Yeah. That show is, it's such a like subtle masterpiece. Mm-hmm. Leighton, have you seen the show? No, but it's one of those ones where I only ever hear glowing praise from people whose comedic tastes I trust a lot. So I don't hear about it often, but when I do, I'm like, okay. I should pay attention to this recommendation. I just don't understand how they do it. I mean, the amount of footage they get. Watching it, you're just like, this is the guy. Like, you can't, like, replicate the idea of the show unless you're this archival guy that just, right, just, like, shoots everything. Everything. And just has an encyclopedic memory of, like, all the different things they've ever captured. So what's the bit The bit is it starts off with like how to, you know, it could be something stupid. Like, I don't remember any actual examples, but it's like how to eat spaghetti or something like that. How to make small talk is the first episode. Right. How to make small talk. And he just starts going down a path and then follows it. And along the way, there'll be these narration, which it thematically links a bunch of the ideas that he's talking about but does so over footage that you're like, how the fuck did they find these 15 (laughs) perfect images of exactly the thing they're talking about and get like, you know, it's a guy like walking down the street or or like unicycling down the street with a chicken on his head. And then you're like, oh my God, that's a guy with a chicken on his head. And then there's someone else with like, you know, a poodle on their head on a bike. And you're like, what? How did they? I'm making those up? Yeah. And the linking of things is the real genius. It's just incredible. It's kind of a magic act to see it all unfold that even us describing it right now. Yeah. Yeah, This is so beyond my understanding at this moment that I'm sure once I watch it will make. Yeah. Total sense. It is somehow even drier than Nathan for you. Like (laughs) if you weren't paying attention, it would just read like a normal you know, kind of documentary type 
show. It, it really is this incredible synthesis of narration and visuals. And he also finds these fucking, just these people. Some of the things would work now that I'm thinking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, some of the people <laughs> he interviews is just. Like the foreskin guy. Oh, my, no spoilers. There's a foreskin guy, which is. <laughs> Isn't there always a foreskin guy? There's always a foreskin guy. <laughs> I think one of the greatest things about it is the turns in the episodes too. Like yep. you just don't know where the third act is going of it. Ever. And it's always so lovely. Like the moment it hits like, oh, this is what the show is actually this yeah. episode's about. <laughs> it, so it always starts in New York. So especially if you have any affinity for New York, it's a great New York show. And then a substantial fraction of the time, he ends up just like somewhere else. And it's like, oh, you're on a cruise now? Okay. Often comes down to he forms this kind of friendship or at least a bond with someone, and then they go do something together, or they let him into their home, or they go on a trip together or something. It is a testament to trusting other people, I guess. And he's never being cruel to people. It's not like a fucking gotcha thing. Mm-hmm. And this is not to say that people always come across looking like geniuses or whatever. A lot of the time you're like, what the fuck is going on with this guy? But it's never unkind. It feels very open hearted in a way that I love. I think like that's what it shares with the Nathan for you. And you can see why Nathan was interested in helping get it made. Just giving people the opportunity to talk and just like let them do the legwork. Yes, absolutely worth it checking out. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Brian, have you still by this point not seen uh, All Gas No Breaks or Channel 5? Yeah, I was going to say similar to Andrew from Channel 5 and All Gas No Breaks. Like, yeah, so good. Just like lets people talk and is like, there you go. I still have not, despite late in your recommendations, I still have not seen it. Oh, it's so good. It's mm-hmm. so good. I think watching it in chronological order is important. Maybe not in necessarily all order, but going back to early stuff before watching what Channel 5 has turned into now. Yeah. Because it's in an interesting, like, kind of transitional space right now. I think it hit a stride at the end of All Gas, No Breaks, and then they had the big legal fallout, and now it's kind of, like, building itself back up. Yeah, and they're doing amazing stuff. And then now there's also getting to the level where, like, people kind of know who he is at certain events. Like, the recent influencer rapper one (laughs) was so fucking great (laughs) that guy is so good at entering a space and just you see how seamlessly he's able to navigate stuff in terms of knowing like when to shut up for sure he's so quick like Mm -hmm. god damn i gotta see it all right so our first segment on the show now that we've spent the last 15 minutes recommending various shows our first segment is our pop culture recommendation segment we get to recommend a book, movie, video game, music, whatever, something you've been enjoying recently. It's called What's Poppin'? And the theme song goes here in post. So I do like to preface every week when I do this, that we do add the theme song in post. So you will not hear it right now, but it does go right here. What's poppin'? What's poppin'? Wow. Oh, yeah. What did you think? What did, no, no, please tell me what you thought. <laughs> no, I was really enjoying it in the car today. It was very lovely. No, thank you very much. Rarely do we have a guest that has actually heard the What's Poppin' theme song. <laughs> yeah. And you did. God, that's so true. Yeah. It must be like a one-handed figure of number of guests who have heard the theme oh, yeah. prior to you asking that question. Well, I do my homework. Yeah. So, Layton, What's Poppin'? 
What's popping for me is to follow up on whatever the last episode we recorded was. Who knows? I can't even keep it straight anymore. Yeah, I woke up 10 minutes before we started recording this episode, and we've recorded many in the past two weeks. So at some point recently, I recommended Stephen King's Cujo. And following Mm -hmm. Stephen King and books starting with a C, what's popping for me today is Stephen King's Carrie, which I cannot believe I had gotten this far without reading. I can't either. I know. I read it in one sitting last night. And yeah, it's great. It's also really short, but I like Carrie the movie. I've seen it too many times or it's just, I don't love the movie. And so that's why I didn't read the book for a really long time. Even though I think the movie is iconic and so cool, it's just actually watching it as kind of a drag. Mm -hmm. It it is, correct me if this is wrong, it is a prequel to Sex in the City. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, 100%. (laughs) Great. Okay. And so the way that it's all hashed out in the book is infinitely more interesting because it's kind of switching from like the prosy first person character stuff with sort of this stuff that gives everything like a scale and a weight to it because it's quoting like books and academic articles talking about this prom night incident and Carrie White and like all, it it really does this extensive world building that adds this sense of foreboding on top of everything. Stephen King's so good at those like parenthetical, frantic, run-on internal monologues of people going crazy. Mm. Like, that's my shit. And that book is just that. And it's fabulous. Is there more like telekinesis kind of stuff in the book than in the movie or? There's more like discussion from that sort of academic standpoint, like referencing like, oh, and some scholars posit this and others are saying this. And like, it feels very foundational for a lot of future um what would you call that when you have a bunch of different like fake sources, sort of the World War Z or House of Leaves thing? Mm. It feels foundational for that kind of later stuff. Mm-hmm. I love World War Z. It was a really fun read. I never read it. I just know that it has that format. Yeah. Yeah. I should read that. It was a shame that the movie just kind of was like, hey, we're going to take this IP and <laughs> not use any of it. Yeah. <laughs> Zombie apocalypse. Fuck you. Yeah. It just went full on like action film. Yeah. The book, since it was written by that the guy the Max Brooks, right? Yeah. Mel Brooks. How to survive a zombie son, apocalypse. Yeah. Oh. It was kind of just him, I picture sitting down, being like, Okay, let me think of all these amazing zombie <laughs> scenarios. <laughs> And then was like, I don't want to try and form these into a cohesive like narrative. <laughs> right. I'm just going to make it a bunch of short stories. And that was such a great read for someone who I'm addicted to zombie movies and watched a lot of bad ones. Mm-hmm. I just want to see more of like what would happen of like kind of options. Uh, like, like if there was like a, <laughs> if there was like a, a Sim City zombie game, Zom City, I would just like hit play and just kind of watch how it plays out each oh, time. There must be something like that, right? That's a great idea. I don't know. Yeah, it's funny actually. When I was a kid, to kind of like show where I'm at in age, is we had a um, computer lab where we like learned typing and stuff like that. And in social studies class, we learned city development with a newly released game called SimCity. Really? <laughs> wow. And we had like a, a Mac lab with all the like old Macintosh 2 classics. Yep. Well, I played SimCity on a Mac SE for sure. And what we would do is whenever someone got up to use the washroom, we <laughs> look around 
And we'd go over, because this was like a school project, like running your city in a mm -hmm. reasonable way. So obviously monsters were turned off. <laughs> so whenever someone got up, there was like a rush to go over to their computer and turn <laughs> so they come back and they're like, what? Why is Godzilla attacking my city? <laughs> That's really great. But yeah, so as someone who's watched way too many bad straight to streaming yeah. <laughs> zombie movies and even the bad ones of a certain legendary George, uh, <laughs> I just want to see more like what if kind of moments. What takes the cake for you in terms of zombie media? Like what's best on your list? I'm going to start with the weirder one, but Dead Set. Well, I don't know it. Never heard of Dead it. Dead Set is incredible. It's the zombie apocalypse through the perspective of the contestants on the UK Big Brother. <laughs> so, so they're juxtaposing like the end of the world with the banality of like being on a stupid like reality show. Mm -hmm. And and so they're like showing outside the control room like everything's raging, everyone's getting killed and then they cut back to them who are in an isolated environment and don't know that this is what's going on are like fighting over like cereal being like, "Did you finish all the the crumpets. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, that popular British cereal, crumpets. Yeah, crumpets, but, right. <laughs> anyway, so that one's amazing. Oh, it's a Charlie Brooker thing? Oh, is that who made it? Holy, that just blew my mind. So oh, the guy shit. that went on to do Black Mirror started with that. Wow, that, that tracks, oh, yeah. Wow. Anyway, so that was amazing. I really like Dawn of the Dead and yeah. Night of the Living Dead, I think, are the two penultimate ones the opening scene from the remake of dawn of the dead is mm -hmm. surprisingly amazing and then i'm not sure about the rest of the movie but the <laughs> the opening scene is incredible also similar opening scene of 28 not days but weeks later oh, right. is incredible and the rest of the movie is is hot garbage but uh <laughs> 28 weeks later was pretty cool too i guess um i like the idea of like them not being zombies but infected that was a really cool twist and they're and they're like fast and right? they're fast yeah right. and then i grew up playing all the resident evil games but always wished that they just stayed <laughs> as zombie like i remember like turning off the sound and being like really depressed like midway through a resident evil game being like why does it have to be all these other weird things i just want it to be <laughs> zombies i want the opening scene from Resident Evil 2 just over and over again. Like the demo for Resident Evil 2 is perfect. <laughs> You're a zombie purist. Yeah. <laughs> what about you? Sounds like you have some favorite zombies. No, see, this is really interesting to me because I love horror and I'm a big horror person, but like my two no-goes in terms of stuff that I'm just not interested in is apocalypse stuff and zombies. So this is great to hear from somebody who's really into it like, mm. I will definitely check out Dead Set because that sounds really cool. Yeah, Dead Set's fun. Did you not like Night of the Living Dead or? I never finished it. Like, I got halfway through and I fell asleep. It's a big milestone in like, for like what it was doing at the time. Like, it's for such sure. a cool, cool movie. But I get that it is slow. I'm younger than my two siblings. My brother's eight years older than me and my sister's 11 years older than me. And so when I was a kid, I really wanted to see the movie Alien Mm -hmm. And my sister somehow convinced my parents to let me see it at like 
think like 11 or 12. Okay, that's not totally irresponsible. Yeah, like I definitely had nightmares from watching Ghostbusters when I was five. Oh, well, um, same. And I was constantly nine. woke yeah. up like thinking that that gargoyle was chasing me like mm-hmm. Rick Moranis. I must interject. It's a terror dog, <laughs> not a gargoyle, but please continue. <laughs> They didn't come off the side of the building? They did. Any of the things that busted out of the statues are referred to in the Ghostbusters universe as terror Oh, dogs. wow. Yes. Cool. It is cool, isn't it? I'm glad I corrected you. <laughs> oh, man. R.I.P. Ivan Reitman. Yes. Yeah, so when I saw Alien, I was fully ready, I think, for the horror genre. And it was my first restricted movie It was weird being like the youngest of three parents really developed this like different parenting. Mm -hmm. My sister like blew her mind. We went to a mom and pop video store for like VHS as a kid. And when I turned 12, it was like at the tail end of like VHS popularity. Mm -hmm. And especially mom and pops like Blockbuster, I think, came when I was 13 to Halifax. And so when I was 12, they were kind of like, we got to move some product here and like get people like (laughs) renting more. And so they developed this deal that for every movie you rented, it was a quarter less. And so it was like to get a movie, it was like one movie was 350. And if you got two movies, they were each 325 and Mm -hmm. three movies each $3. Well, if you extrapolate that far enough, they're all free. (laughs) Well, so they wouldn't go as far as free, but they would go to a quarter. Were they really? Yeah. And so when I was 12, I went <gasps> through the whole horror section. Oh, my at God. Halifax video. What an insane ploy. <laughs> Why would you? Okay. <laughs> well, you had a week to watch like a dozen movies. I mean, that's an incredible deal, but seems. Yeah. I feel like if you're getting away by the skin of your teeth with that deal, like <laughs> you, you are determined to watch all those also, movies in a week. When you're renting, moving product is not like. The same (laughs) thing, right? Yeah, I think they were hoping with the deal. uh, You don't need to try to get inside their retail psychology. (laughs) Especially, yeah, they don't exist anymore. Right. But it was a really great, like, foundational thing for me watching horror movies and getting into them. And But I was lucky that I watched some of these movies while I was still genuinely, like, terrified of, like, Mm -hmm. when I watched Night of the Living Dead, I was actually, like, scared. I wasn't, like, bored being like, this is kind of like an old movie. (laughs) (laughs) Or, like, I watched The Evil Dead alone. Like, I remember my folks went out for the night and I was, like, 12 by myself watching it and just, like, terrified and like all the campiness was like over my head i was just Mm -hmm. like this movie oh yeah if you don't pick up on the comedy it's like that's not a fun time i had a fun time but i was like sweating after a roller coaster (laughs) fun i don't think i laughed at anything i think i laughed the next week when i watched evil dead 2 yeah which is much funnier let's see layden ask me uh rich what's popping oh fuck Oh, sorry. Did you want to go first there, Brian? No, no, no. I don't care. No, no, no. no. You, Rich, you should go first. Leighton subverts expectations while also <laughs> expanding them. That's what I do. I just read this book by an author named Oliver Berkman called 4,000 Weeks. It's pretty cool. The tagline is time management for mortals, but it basically <laughs> flips the time management productivity genre on its head being like all of them are written from the perspective of capitalism 
Mm-hmm. And this one's written from the perspective of stoicism. So oh, nice. it's like how to live a good life and like what to do with their time. And I love it. And understanding the different things that fill up our time. So there's a lot of things saying like, you know, don't be a zero inbox person because it doesn't make you feel better. You end up just answering double the, <laughs> the emails that the average person does. True. Yeah. You can physically have a zero inbox if you want, but you need to develop some sort of system where you can be like, not today, and send it to like basically your faux ignore inbox. (laughs) So a lot of it's like not trying to make you the most like productive person, but to kind of examine how you live your life and kind of, you know, the essence of philosophy, like how to live a good life and how to use that time that we have. And yeah, lots of cool things. One is starting your biggest project first thing in the morning. Mm-hmm. It says in the book, many of us will kind of like put something like that as a reward. We're going to get this day-to-day stuff first, and then we'll come back to that project. But in reality, a lot of the time, our battery life has gone down a bit, mm-hmm. and we're not ready to emotionally meet it with the energy that we want at the first thing of the day. So kind of like doing a little bit of a big project each morning, and then going on to your day-to-day is like a big takeaway that I had from it. Do you read a lot of like stoic literature? I do. I did philosophy in university. Mm -hmm. When I went to Australia that we were talking about earlier, it was because my university didn't have a Eastern philosophy course at the time even. And so I was looking at places that had a larger Eastern philosophy course load. I'd kind of done the great books program at my University of Kings in Halifax, Mm -hmm. which is all like Western thought. And then I was like, oh, I'm going to go do the other branch from Mesopotamia. (laughs) And it was really sweet. It was a pretty like liberal college that would let you write. Like I got to write research papers called Being Adam Spiegel, which is like comparing Baudrillard with Spike Jones, (laughs) who's like a a pseudonym for Adam Spiegel. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And I got to write my thesis on The Big Lebowski. Oh, that's so great. It's probably my second favorite movie. And I think the greatest subtle anti-war film ever made. <laughs> I, absolutely. Wait, what's number one? It's got to be OG 1977 Star Wars. Okay. That's a reasonable <laughs> choice. Always wins. I mean, it was my favorite movie as a kid. So there's definitely that heavy, 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 heavy nostalgia. Mm -hmm. But then it also is like this era of like the film school grads all working on this movie and just making the archetype of what will become something else later. Like even by Empire, it's like they know they're working on a big movie, but like Mm -hmm. Star Wars, they're like, what are we doing? (laughs) Yeah, and the pacing is so weird in that movie. Oh, yeah. Everything is janky about it. But I mean, still like Marsha saved the movie. Like I love going deep on the how bad George's first (laughs) cut was when he showed it to Scorsese and Coppola. And then Marsha came in and was like, hey, why don't we make the Empire attack the rebels instead of the rebels just randomly attacking the empire. And then (laughs) we have something called stakes for the end of the movie. (laughs) So what clock's number three? I think adaptation. Oh, good choice. Yeah, Fuck yeah. I love that movie so much. And it's so unique. It's interesting with someone like Spike Jones, who's so brilliant and very happy to just be making commercials and like has like such a low output of movies. Like, I don't know even if we're going to get 10 movies out of him. Right. 
like we're only at four <laughs> right <Yeah>. now. <laughs> so it's amazing that him going from the success of being John Malkovich and then leveraging that into getting fucking Meryl Streep in one of her coolest roles. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. And having a very like A-list movie that was up for all these Oscars and everyone coming into their own of like Kaufman making up a fake brother and then in acceptance <laughs> speeches, like dedicating it to this fictional character yeah, yeah. and having people stand up and applaud this fictional character, which I've, I don't think has ever happened before since. <laughs> <laughs> and all the layers of the story. and Brian Cox as Robert McKee is something that I'm thinking about most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> I loved how much like real and fake is in that movie. Like picking actual like Robert as an, a real character instead of like a character based on him. Yeah. I, like I have that book on my bookshelf of like yeah. the storytelling. Yeah, yeah. me too. <laughs> <laughs> my favorite tidbit about adaptation is Susan Orlean coming to the set and going up to Charlie Kaufman and being like, you have no idea how embarrassed I am right now. And then he was like, no, you really have no idea how embarrassed I am right now. And then like ran off set. <laughs> oh, it's so amazing. Have you guys seen I'm Thinking of Ending Things? Oh, it was yes. amazing. I read the book. That's right. We talked about this on the show. I have not read the book. Synecdoche is also such a brilliant failure. And like it, it being a failure it. makes it a better movie. <laughs> yes. Yeah. The movie's about failure and it's about overstepping your ambition and, and, yeah. and like his projects getting like Philip Seymour Hoffman's is getting all in disarray, trying to be God. And then his partner is getting all this success and her art is getting smaller and smaller until people are like looking through a magnifying glass. And the way it deals with like aging and death and like, I love the end of that movie. I watched it for the first time when I was like unsuccessfully trying to taper off of antidepressants a couple of years ago. Mm. So that was like the perfect headspace where it was just like, why yeah. isn't this working? <laughs> <laughs> Kaufman's stuff is such a treat when a new Kaufman or Spike Jones or something is coming yeah, along. Like I, sure. I really like yeah. those directors or artists of any sort take a long time on each project and be like, all right, going to do this right and be a good one. put it out yeah. in the world. Do you ever read any of the like original Charlie Kaufman screenplays? I haven't. I'm getting into reading more screenplays now. I can find those online pretty easy. Yeah, you can. And I recommend them for him especially because as you can probably tell from his entire oeuvre, uh, it's oeuvre, right? You guys? I mean, Rich is probably the person who's closest to speaking <laughs> French here. Yeah. <laughs> It is spelled O-E-U-V-R-E, -E, right? Huh. How do you say that word? Uh, mon France, my Francais, <laughs> c'est terrible. <laughs> anyway, what you can probably tell from Charlie Kaufman's body of work is that he goes very long and is a very neurotic person. And so the screenplays have so much cut stuff like lots of monologues that are just it completely makes sense why they're cut like it's yeah. a smart choice but they're so good when you read them like adaptation and eternal sunshine especially yeah i will definitely check those out then sorry guys real quick this is from miriam webster oh got him i think it was more like uh yeah, I like getting that extra like detail in the novelizations. Sometimes they're going off the script and not the final film. So mm -hmm. you get those like extra. I'm reading the alien one right now. Oh, are there other ones that are on your list? I guess I haven't been super aware of novelizations. I was like, I'm going to start with alien and then I'll see where it goes from there. I think one thing that I thought about recently 
that got me on to novelizations was I had this memory that the person that wrote the novelization to Return of the Jedi couldn't stand that Boba Fett was killed off for <laughs> comic relief mm-hmm. and like actively was like, no, I'm changing this. And now that I say it out loud, I'm doubling down again, being like, I know I read this as a kid in something. So maybe this is like my PSA, like uh, that beautiful podcast about the guy that is trying to remember that song and then hires the band to like replay mm-hmm. the song. But so if anyone has read some Star Wars adaptation of Return of the Jedi, where instead of Boba Fett being killed accidentally, because his jetpack gets turned on. He slips on a banana peel and falls <laughs> into the Sarlacc. Right. Like, even as a kid, I was like, why would he be so shocked by his jetpack being turned on when he flies like all the time, probably, and is probably really good at it? And then he has that open <laughs> seltzer bottle that he turns on and he starts backflipping. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, my memory of it is that Boba Fett is flying midair and is going to kill Luke Skywalker. And he's like that badass. And you're like, whoa, like, I can't believe Luke's about to die because of this bounty hunter. And then Chewie's like, you got to shoot Boba Fett to Han. But Han's been complaining that his eyesight's not back. And so then it's the one moment in the OG trilogy where you're not sure if like Han was able to use the force Mm -hmm. or whether he got lucky and his eyesight returns right at that moment. That he's Mm. able to make the shot. And instead of like flicking a switch, he like shoots the backpack. This is a very specific memory. Yeah. So he's not on the skiff with them. He's flying over the Sarlacc pit and he's like, you know, aiming down and like Luke's already occupied with the other guards and he's going to die. And Han makes the shot, destroys, like disintegrates the jetpack. And then Mm -hmm. instead of like flying off the sail barge, he just falls straight into the Sarlacc pit and dies. Yep. And then everyone's like, cool. And then the Sarlacc very audibly says, I could get used to this. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that too. He's yeah, like, right. he's like, he's like, we're going to have a fun time for four, 800 yeah, years yeah. or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then he just dies. He doesn't escape from the Sarlacc. He doesn't go get a book or whatever the, all that stuff is. Yeah. And we can all just <laughs> be happy yeah. that this amazing character had a great death and not one that they were robbed of and then we have to watch i'm sure i'm gonna like it but i've only watched the first episode and was kind of same a little uh hard to accept that reality is there another star wars show there's another star wars show called the book of boba fett (laughs) i think it's total like star wars fan grief like everyone just is like that's not the way to kill off a cool character We need to bring him back. We must desecrate his corpse for the next three (laughs) decades. Yeah, it's like we need to see him die in a way that is fitting or else we will forever think that he somehow survives and then goes on to have a better death. I have always wanted to see a scene where someone uses like a trebuchet to catapult Ewoks into the Sarlacc (laughs) and they're just like feeding Ewoks into this thing and they, you know, they trigger it and it goes, boom, and then the Ewok lands. I feel like that's a robot chicken sketch. Very plausible. Or like a Newgrounds <laughs> flash game. That, Layden, you nailed it. That's exactly what that would be. Yeah. And it's just called lunch, but with two C's. <laughs> <laughs> Takes forever to load. Brian, what's popping? What's popping for me? It's an old album, an old funk album. 
They Say I'm Different by Betty Davis, one of mm. the all-time great and I would say somewhat unheralded because I think she's not quite a household name, even though she deserves to be. Does either of you know this album or Betty Davis? Is this like Betty Davis, like she's got Betty Davis eyes? No, different Betty no, Davis. different Betty Davis. You gotta listen to this fucking album. So she was this like super horny, out there funk queen mm. who in, I don't know, maybe late early 80s, just retired. She was Miles Davis's wife, thus oh, Davis. Oh, wow. Yeah. But also an unbelievable musician in her own right. She died a couple weeks ago or, yeah, about a month ago maybe now mm-hmm. in her 70s or 80s, I don't know, in her old age. But basically just walked away from music for a long time. But her albums are just bananas good like these incredible musicians who were in the you know in kind of the funk scene in the 70s yeah she wrote and performed all the songs and they are just like unapologetically and i use this as a compliment like nasty in every sense of the word they're just like funky as hell very sexual when they you know occasionally her outfits are awesome i'm looking at the outfits right now yeah like the cover of this album just rules Cool. It is a great album start to finish. Her singing is just like, she has an amazing voice. Can't recommend it highly enough. So Sweet. go check out Betty Davis's They Say I'm Different and RIP to a real, real legend who just decided it was her time to not make music anymore and lived a quiet life in the suburbs of, I believe, Pittsburgh for, you know, 30 years taking care of her folks. Wow. Hell yeah. All right. That's what was popping. Cool. That was a lot of poppins. There was a lot popped. <laughs> <laughs> and now we skate into our final segment, which is three parts gratitude exercise, one part petty grousing. It is called Peaches and Lemons, and the theme song goes right here. Peaches and lemons. Peaches and lemons. Great. That was the theme song. We all loved it. Let's each start with a lemon, which is a petty grievance or whatever. I'm happy to go first. I'm going to keep these very light this week uh, yes. in deference to the much larger lemons happening in the greater world <laughs> yes. right now. It's like my Wi-Fi signal. <laughs> yeah, you know what? It is pretty much that. It is that for some reason I can't get the mail app on my desktop computer to ever really work. It works fine on my laptop. It works on my phone. On the desktop, all I can do is go straight to Gmail. And for some reason, this fucking Mac mail thing does not work on my desktop and I have no idea why. Mm. And it is a minor inconvenience, but that's a lemon and that's my lemon. That's a good one. Rich, what you got? I recently sent in an application for um, the 33 and a third series. Oh, nice. To write one, you mean? Yeah. yeah. Oh, cool. And I didn't get it. Oh, I'm sorry. So that's the grievance. Can you say which album it would have been for? I kind of wrote in my application, like, if you don't accept me because I'm not a real writer. uh, (laughs) That hasn't stopped them before. But someone should write a 33 and a third for like the 50th anniversary of my favorite record, Dark Side of the Moon, next Uh year. They don't have a 33 and a third for Dark... There is not a 33 and a third for Dark Side of the Moon. How? What's 33 and a third? I don't know what that is. Uh, sorry, 33 and third is a really fun little short pocket book. Each author kind of takes it in a different direction, but it basically is a fun little like companion to a favorite record. Oh, that's fun. It's kind of like almost like a... It's a fun series. Like a fun little criterion collection kind of thing. Of There's like hundreds of them now or something, right? Oh, these are so cool looking. 
Yeah. They're very cool. They're pretty sweet. I didn't think I was going to get it, but I think I put in a strong application and I do want to write something on it next year. Maybe it'll turn into writing like I've written a couple articles for Vice before. So maybe something like that. I want to write something like very detailed on the history of the sync with uh, the Wizard of Oz, mm-hmm. uh, because that was such a big jumping off point for me and my music. Like my first EP, I wrote to sync with How the Grinch Stole Christmas. And then after awesome. getting a cease and desist from Dr. Seuss Enterprises, <laughs> LP, I made a, uh, a sync to a movie I made out of like 33 films from the public domain, uh-huh. including... Night of the Living Dead for my first record. And then I did The Little Prince for my second record. It's a great idea. And then I did uh, Alice in Wonderland for my third record. Wow. And so I'm like very interested in a part of this like online weird synchronicity community and haven't really seen like a really in-depth investigative kind of like piece on it. So I want to kind of like get back to the original forms where like the first iterances of someone being like, hey, do you know if you uh, press play on Darks of the Moon on the second roar (laughs) of the MGM lion, it syncs up somehow? It's so interesting you say that because on Sharpling's other podcast, Double Threat, which I Mm -hmm. am also a huge fan of, they literally do that this week, this most recent episode. Oh, whoa. Really? They're like, let's listen. And they start the album and they start the movie when they're supposed to and just kind of... Mm -hmm. Talk. They don't get all the way through it. Yeah, depending on how high you are, it works <laughs> once or twice or two and a half times. Yeah, right. I went in college to a screening where like the entire 500 people in the auditorium were high. Oh my God. And it was amazing walking into that room because I couldn't get into it. It was like this old like single plex theater around the corner from where I grew up. And I knew that in the back door, if you like pulled it right in the right way, you could sneak <laughs> into the movie theater. And so I snuck into the front and just like looked at these glazed eyes as far as the eye could see. Rad. And then like found like one empty seat and was like, perfect. The, the room of people who would care the absolute least that you were sneaking in. <laughs> yeah. I'm looking at this 33 and the third list. How do they have like... Like some not... The second highest selling record <laughs> yeah, of all time. Uh, Hanging Tough by New Kids on the Block, <laughs> but not Dark Side of the Moon. Yeah. The two most interesting chapters I think I pitched were one about the sink and one about how inadvertently On the Run is the most popular experimental piece of music of all time. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And like how that song is in the zeitgeist and like how many people have like interacted with it and how weird of a song that is musically. And yet, you know, because of its placement on this record has been listened to more than any John Cage (laughs) or Lamont Young or. Yeah. I would read the hell out of both of those things and I hope you get an opportunity to do them at some point. Thanks. Yeah. Lemon. My lemon is that once again, nose is fine all day. I sit down to record and I'm just in excruciating <laughs> sinus pain and have to do the embarrassing thing of just like wiping my nose, I'll record. Why? Why do we have to do this at my face? Why? Maybe you're allergic to amazing podcasts. <laughs> you're right. Yeah. You're so right. That's 100% what it is. You're allergic to quality content. Yeah, so one day I'm going to go into anaphylactic shock when this show just gets too good. Well, it's never going to happen, so I think you're in luck. Yeah, yeah, I'm safe. I'm good. I don't even need an EpiPen. We're not going to get close. 
Okay, that was lemons. Great. Let's do peaches. I'll zip through mine. Great. On Monday, I went and got a Bloody Mary at 1 p.m. and it fucking ripped. Sometimes nice. you just need the booze soup. That's right. It's like that. Number two, had never owned a handheld vacuum until semi-recently. Look at you. Shout out to a handheld vacuum. That shit whips. As someone who hates to clean, wow. It's nice that you, you don't have to suck the stuff up off the ground with your mouth anymore. I know. What have I been doing this whole time? <laughs> I know. Jeez. Right? It's bad for you and it's difficult. But with a vacuum, it just does it for it's you. It's less fun. But yeah. And then my last peach is that with the new Cyberpunk update, I've been getting back into it. Mm. I haven't touched mods for the game yet. And turns out there's a very active modding community. So I will be diving into that bullshit with my sticky little hands getting on the Blade Runner. <laughs> they have like a complete Blade Runner overhaul thing where like somebody put crazy time into like changing all these assets, adding music to the radio stations, like changing the color grading, changing the way that like wow. rain falls. So I'm excited to check that out. Those are my peaches. Cool. Rich? Number one... This Moog synth that I found on Kijiji. I don't know if you guys have Kijiji down there, but it's it's our right. Craigslist. Uh, we do not, yeah, as far as I know, yeah. Surfing. I spend a lot of the winter surfing here when I'm not in this bedroom making music. And it's very cold and you have to like shovel right. your car out <laughs> <laughs> before getting out to yeah. the waves. But it's really fun. And probably number three, going on tour with Twerp who are such lovely humans, as you know. And you guys leave, it's like less than a week now, right? Less than a week from yeah. yesterday. Wow. Yeah, being on tour and doing support is such a lovely experience. You don't have to worry about like the shows, especially with like, like a band like Twerp, the shows are all selling out. So there's no like extra like, hey, can you make sure <laughs> you're posting about right. this? It's like, oh, they've got it. So you just have to show up and hang out and we're all driving around in a van together and it's all the things I love the most about music without the moments where you're posting about your own headlining shows being like, come on, buy your tickets, right. please, like twerp fans do. It's a long way to the top if you want to rock and roll, <laughs> says Daft Punk. And those guys, they're just easy to be with. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's all good vibes. Yeah. And the merch, amazing. I want one of those shirts so badly. Oh, yes. That's a great design. Yeah. Planet Bass. <laughs> Leave your troubles behind. <laughs> Brian, peaches. Yes. Peach number one is Audrey's school had a book fair or is having a book fair this week. And I worked the book fair today. Oh, my and God. And when the preschoolers and the first graders came in and it's just, A, it's nice to be back campus with them. The kids have been back you know, for a long time now, but they are just allowing parents back on recently. It was nice to be back on the school campus proper and seeing a bunch of little mm -hmm. kids go absolutely apeshit for a bunch of books. As soon as you walked in, they put the books for teens section right there. And half the books were like Five Nights at Freddy's or Bendy and the Ink Machine or like books about various horror games for adolescents. And they had to hide them because what was happening is the little kids would come in, see them, get scared, and then, <laughs> you know, ha have an adverse reaction. Uh, as, by the way, my own daughter did when she was going to bed last night and got scared of the image on the front of the Five Nights at Freddy's book. It was haunted bread? It was not haunted bread. It was a haunted bear, <laughs> which I will argue was much scarier. Not nah, bread's worse. 
it was nice to be on campus and see him. Have they picked the books before this? Like in Canada, we had this day that you're describing, but we would always like get a wish list before that you would like check like the Scholastic yeah. book. Yeah. That's what I had growing up too, that. This is not that. This is just a big old bookstore big old in the bookstore, gym. Yeah, in, the, in this case, in the art room. And they set up the shelves in their kind of vague themes and the kids just go nuts and pick up books. Yeah, that sounds exciting. It's exciting, especially when you're a preschooler and can't read or know what a book is. It was fun to watch the preschoolers wandering around trying to figure out what the hell was going on. Peach number two is I had lunch with Daniel Avidan's parents this week because they were in town. They are two of my absolute favorite people. I don't get to see them much because they don't live in L.A. And, you know, they were around and I got to hang out with them. They are my surrogate parents. My parents died in the early 2000s and Audrey has one living grandparent. And these two are Audrey's grandparents by proxy. I text Audrey picks to Danny's mom. And, you know, she's great. His dad, Avi, is great. They're just the sweetest people. And I'm thrilled to have them in my life and also that I got to see them this week. That's wonderful. They are the parents I don't get to have uh, anymore. Mm-hmm. And my final peach is I went to a live music performance last night. There's a contemporary classical piano series here in LA called Piano Spheres. Shout out to Richard, who's a listener of the pod, who is the assistant director of this. And they had their first show in a while last night. Absolutely incredible pianist, Vicky Ray who's also a composer. The theme was frozen improvisation. Apparently there's some Stravinsky quote, like all composition is frozen improvisation. And she played works from across the 20th century. She had some Bartok stuff from like around 1920 or so, all the way up through the world premiere of a piece that she played where the idea was she had an iPad in front of her, which was hooked up to a computer where the composers, she was not one of the composers of this piece, although she kind of was for the reasons we'll hear in a second. Mm-hmm. And the computer would generate sheet music for her to try to play. And based on how well she played it, it would adjust the next thing it showed her. Whoa. And it was also in That's right. uh, eight speaker surround sound. So there's like, whoa, shit moving around in the speakers while she's playing these extremely difficult parts. Yeah, yeah. Is this at like the Disney theater? Or this what? was right next. So the Colburn School of Music is right across the street from it. And they have a lovely little concert hall called the Zipper Concert Hall. And mm. they, Piano Spheres does most of their shows there. And it was a cool piece. Also, to me, the real revelation was she played a transcribed Cecil Taylor solo, which was just like unbelievable. I mean, Cecil Taylor is just a genius. And it was really cool to hear this thing. It's all... 20th and 21st century stuff, the harmonic language, like there's some serial stuff, there's some atonal stuff, there's all sorts, all over the map. And it was really a fun variety of things. She played one piece, composer named Bud. The score was just text directions, you know, play a high note. And then it's like typed Mm. out from the late 60s, a piece of like typewriter paper. And that's the score. You know, there are some pieces that were straight up just written out compositions. There are some pieces that had an improvisatory element. It was all over the map and it was a really wonderful recital by a, I mean, just a virtuosic musician. These are monthly? Not quite, but close to it. It's like during a season, they'll do, 
I don't know, six or seven, and the season lasts nine months or something. Yeah, I'll look out for that. Yeah, they put on some of my favorite shows I've seen in LA, and it's all piano-based or keyboard-based music, thus the name Piano Spheres. And I've learned so much by going to these shows. Like a lot of the times, I'll know a few composers, but always there's at least one composer that I'm like, oh shit, I didn't know anything about them, which is the point. They also, last night they had a, was it a prelude? I think by Ligeti, younger Ligeti stuff when he was a little more, not very, but a little more tonal than he ended up being. Yeah, yeah, before the... uh, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That sounded like 2001, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, (laughs) totally. Yeah, 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 it was cool stuff. So anyway, happy to be seeing live music again. You know, also, it's one of those things where I watch her play and I'm like, I'm garbage. Why do I (laughs) sit next to a piano? Like, you know, someone of that level of ability. And she's revealed her age because you said it in the context of something she's 63 so she's been doing this her whole life oh cool and she's wow i don't see many pianists like in their 60s giving like a grad performance oh my like god that. i mean she's not playing like these dinky but these are like very involved oh pieces yeah, yeah. that require yeah. just insane stamina and musicianship and she's this like you know skinny white lady who just walks out and is very modest and then just absolutely shreds. It's so great. And it's fun to watch the audience at these things too, because it's a bunch of, you know, yeah, yeah. classical music nerds, which is a great crowd. A lot of gray hair. A lot of gray hair. Rich, thank you so much for being here. Yes. This was really, oh, really fun. My pleasure. It's so fun chatting with both of you. Yeah, this was a treat. Yeah, for sure. I feel like this is the longest we've actually like hung out, hung out right? Like we've had backstage <laughs> and various things, but yeah. I don't think we've had like an extended block, right? Have we? I'm trying to remember. Yeah, no, no. I think this beats. We did have a long hang at the opera That's house right. yeah. backstage, but I don't think. I, I feel like we had other That's pressures right. that <laughs> night that to worry about. didn't yeah. let it be two hours and 11 minutes just being like, and another thing about yeah, right. zombie movies. <laughs> <laughs> well, I always know it's a good episode when I have like 20 tabs open from searching stuff. Mm. Where can people find out about the tour and where to see you? By the way, I should have told people like your live show is just the best. It's so fun and interesting and a joy to watch. Thanks. Yeah. Probably a lot of people listening to this don't need to be sold on twerp, you know, because they kind of know what they're in for. But if you guys don't know Rich's show, I really, really love it. It is, you know, fun, life affirming and just fucking great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you so much for the American shows. You can go to twerp's website, uh, which you'll probably have an easier time remembering <laughs> than spelling my name, which is R-I-C-H-A-U-C-O-I-N like Someone pointed out once recently that it's like AU is like the symbol of gold and then coin. So rich gold coin. Which makes you sound Jewish. But I don't have that domain name. So richocoin.ca because I couldn't get .com because a libertarian politician (laughs) from Massachusetts says that already. I don't know. As soon as I hear gold anything, I think of all of my dad's friends who are all, you know, Mr. Goldfarb, Mr. Goldstein, Mr. You know, <laughs> yeah. All all, yeah. all the fun North Jersey Jewish surnames. Yeah. So, yeah, it's going to be fun. Uh, Start in Texas next week, and then we go by the end of April all the way up to Seattle, touring all up uh, California and the, the West Coast. Right now, 
I will certainly be at the Los Angeles show. There's a Los Angeles show? Uh, yeah, there is on April 21st. Dude, I want to see my boys. The Terragram on the 21st. Yeah. Well, a certain Mr. Jarek's Tenno said he was also planning to be there. Ooh, yes. exciting. And I think I'm going to try to come to the San Diego show to a couple days prior. Yo, oh, sweet. So that's that plan from the prior times is still... Still hopefully, yeah. Yeah, that would be, that'd be rad. And where can people find you on social media? Oh, social media, just uh, Rich O'Coin, uh, all the things, Twitter and Instagram and TikTok and haven't made a talk yet, it's, oh. <laughs> but I'm there. <laughs> when I think of a good idea Same. of what it's going to be, I'm perpetually like, that guy from the uh, wonderful, I don't want to be around anymore. Uh, I think you should leave. <laughs> where I'm just like, I, where I'm just like, I did too much. I, I don't even want to be around anymore. And then they're like, what's the show? I'm like, I don't know. What <laughs> so I have like a TikTok and I haven't posted anything yet. And I'm just like, I don't know what I want to do on TikTok. Yeah, basically same. I was like, oh, I, I know what I want to do for a TikTok thing. And I made a video. And then in classic TikTok fashion, it never posted. And they took it down like two seconds. Because TikTok's <laughs> thing is like just randomly delete videos for no reason. You've ticked your last talk. I ticked my talk. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, all the things, just my name, R-I-C-H-A-U-C-O-I-N. Cool. Beautiful. Well, folks at home, I usually say a bunch of nonsense. And due to the general world right now. I would love to be able to say something meaningful as a source or message of, you know, strength or comfort. And I don't have words, but just take care of each other and take care of yourselves. All right. Well, I, I'd like to end this on a hopeful note, which is that I noticed today that if you change the last letter in Joe Biden's name, his name is Joe Bidet, <laughs> which I think is pretty awesome. So the days are great. The days are great. Yeah. Shout out to Tushy. Hey, I have a Tushy. <laughs> and I have a bidet. Bam. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess that's the end of the show. Goodbye. Yeah. If you if you want to see more content about my Tushy, follow me on Twitter. Stop this. Stop this madness. <laughs> Leighton Night is produced by Brian Wecht, Leighton Gray, and Jarek Centeno. Follow us on Twitter at Leighton Night, on Instagram at Leighton underscore night, or email us at LeightonKnight at gmail.com.